Today we're continuing in our series in 1 Corinthians, so we're in 1 Corinthians 3. So just while you're looking up that, um, I'm just going to set the scene for us. So remember, we're at a point where the Corinthian church, there's real disunity there. Um, there's all these kind of groups, these factions have kind of formed around their favorite leaders, almost like these little fan clubs, um, and it's led to this disunity, this kind of division in the church. And as well as this, there's a real kind of sense of arrogance with these guys. They're, they're, they see themselves as very kind of successful, a very mature church. And as Christians, they kind of believe that, you know, like they've arrived. They're like, we're the, the, we're the really spiritual ones. We're the ones who've got real wisdom. That's what they think. And they, they've kind of like think they've peaked. They're like the best that they can be. Um, today we're in chapter three, as I said. But last week when we were looking at chapter two, that was all about... Um, Paul talking about the difference between the spiritual person and the unspiritual person and the wise person and the unwise person. And you can imagine these Corinthians who have this kind of really high opinion of themselves hearing these words and kind of like, you know, looking at each other and being like, well, Paul is obviously referring to us. We're, we're pretty great. We're the, we're the bee's knees, if people even say that nowadays. We're the, you know, feeling, feeling pretty, pretty good about themselves. But what happens is that at this point in chapter three, there's kind of like an awkward moment coming up. There's a real shock right at the beginning of chapter three that we're gonna read in a minute. After saying all the things about what a spiritual person does and an unspiritual person does, and the people thinking, oh, it's talking about us, Paul, there's kind of like a butt moment. And Paul says uh, things like, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, you are still worldly. It's a really awkward moment. It's a bit like, have you ever had that thing where you see a friend in, in town or whatever, and they kind of give you a wee wave, and you're like, oh, hi, and you wave back, and then you realize actually there's a person way behind that they were actually waving to. And uh, it's even more awkward when you actually make eye contact with a person who gave the wave, and you have to kind of turn it into a hair kind of gesture and kind of try and get away with that. And that's almost what's happening right here. It's like the Corinthians have kind of like been like, oh, yeah, Paul's talking about spiritual people he's talking about us and he's saying nah not you guys you are not the spiritual ones you are not mature so what we're going to do is we're going to read uh in chapter three we're going to look at verses one to nine and then jump ahead to verse 18 uh, to 23 just to kind of keep it a bit shorter so let's read brothers and sisters i could not address you as people who live by the spirit but as people who are still worldly mere infants in christ I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not, you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere humans? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be re rewarded according to their own labor. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And then we're going to jump down to verse 18. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. 
as it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Amen. Amen. So this today is almost like Paul's wake-up call to the Corinthians, to, the, to these guys who wrongly thought, you know, we've got it all together, we're all sorted. And we're going to look at three instructions that Paul gives them today to kind of bring them out of this mindset. And you know what, for us as well, it's easy for us to kind of slip into that, that way of thinking, of thinking, you know what, I've got, it, I've got it pretty sorted, I'm all right. So this morning, for each of us, let's be listening, let's be asking, God, is there anything that you want to challenge me on this morning? Is there anything in my life that you want to highlight, that you want to change today? So the first thing that Paul says is for them to grow up. Uh, I did a gap year called DNA here in this church, and a lot of it, uh, it was a really great year, but a lot of it was kind of involved in just being, um, taking part in all the different ministries that the church runs, so lifestyle, alpha, drop-ins, all this kind of stuff. I got to do it all, and it was really, really good fun. Um, I also got to do mainly music, and if you don't know what mainly music is, it's basically the kind of uh, mums and toddlers kind of groups, uh, and it's, it's a fantastic ministry. It's really, really great. Safe to say, after doing it for a year, not my gifting not my area of expertise. I am not great with little kids. I'm not great with babies. I don't really know what to do. There was one moment where a mum brought her baby up to me and said, oh, this is Jimmy or whatever his name is. Like, this is. This is Jimmy, check Jimmy out. And, I, and she said, say hello. Uh, and I held out my hand as if to shake it. <laughs> Jimmy was very rude, like didn't take it at all. And she just kind of looked at me as if like, what are you doing, what are you doing? So not really my gift thing. I kind of believe that, you know, I'm rubbish with kids. I'm not really interested in them. And all these mums would just be like, you know, completely absorbed in what their kids were doing. And it wasn't until my niece and my nephew came along that I kind of got it a little bit. I kind of understood what the big deal was about. And as my niece and nephew were growing up, seeing them kind of develop, see them kind of taking their first steps, uh, saying their first words, you know, the first sentence, these are like big moments. And you have these moments of being like, wow, that's so good. And I'm sure for the people who are parents in here, you've had those moments with your kids as they grow and they develop. It's a real joy in kind of seeing them grow and mature. It's a really good thing. But unfortunately, the situation we're in here, Paul isn't able to have this kind of proud parent moment. He's not able to be pleased with the way things are. Because when he, he left the Corinthians, they were spiritually young uh, he'd been kind of living and kind of teaching amongst them. They were kind of young kind of Christians. And in two years, roughly, nothing's really changed. Nothing has really changed. Paul says they're still infants in Christ. They think they are wise. They think they are mature. But the reality is, Paul is saying they haven't moved on. They haven't matured at all. They've kind of started on that journey, but they've stayed still. So what's, what's the kind of evidence of their immaturity that Paul points to? He says... There's jealousy and quarreling among you. And it's like at this basic level, they're showing themselves to be spiritually immature. Like they're jealous of each other's gifting, a bit like kind of kids with kind of squabbling over Christmas presents. It's that kind of thing. And Paul accuses them of acting like mere humans, which might not sound like a huge insult because we are all humans. It doesn't seem like a bad thing. But you know what? As Christians, we're called to be different from those around us and different from the world and not to act on our human desires and, and what society 
says that we should do and on those kind of impulses, but to be led by the Spirit. And the fact that these Corinthians are completely unaware of the problem here and they're completely unaware of this infancy that they're in just highlights their immaturity even more. I had a lovely surprise yesterday. Um, I was supposed to be just hanging out with some friends. We were going to go into town and then they said, oh, we just need to pick something up from, from my house and uh, went into the back garden. And my friends had thrown this like, big surprise party for me. Uh, it was fantastic. And it also provided me with a sermon illustration, which was great. Um, but it was, it was really nice. It was basically just, they'd set up this uh, gazebo. There was all these fairy lights. There was loads of food everywhere. And it was just a kind of a, a little send-off, if you like, because I'm getting married in a couple of weeks. And it was a really nice thing. And the thing that, that really struck me was that all around this garden, there were pictures. There were pictures of me with my friends. There was probably about, there was loads, probably like 200 pictures. And it was incredible. And it was really funny, actually, looking at all these pictures from the last however many years and kind of looking back and going, did I actually wear that? Did my hair look like that back then? I'm sure we've all got those kind of pictures hidden in closets or kind of like really far back in Facebook. Um, that you just, you look at them and you think, what was I thinking in that moment? What was I doing? And I'm going to be very vulnerable right now. I'm going to be very open with you guys. I'm going to actually share a picture of me when I was 18. <laughs> rocking the afro back in the day. <laughs> That's one of those pictures that I, can we take it down please? That was one, <laughs> let's move on, let's move on. That's one of those pictures that I kind of wish wasn't there anymore, that there wasn't evidence of it anymore, that I'd kind of moved on. And it's kind of this idea of like kind of like looking at like our old self and kind of like, you know, the stuff we used to wear and the clothes and like, you know, the way our hair was and all that kind of stuff kind of like looking back at that, we kind of think, man, what was I thinking about there? What was I doing? And it's a little bit like, you know, for, for Paul, he's a mature Christian who's looking at the Corinthians, and it's almost like they're still wearing those old clothes from the past. They've still got that weird Afro haircut that really doesn't fit in with what's going on. This idea of them, you know, having jealousy and this quarreling, it's like old things that they should have left far behind. And Paul's like, guys, you look immature. You look ridiculous. You need to let this stuff go. It's really important to realize, I think, from this passage, the fact that um, maturity, age doesn't equal maturity. You know, as we get older, it doesn't necessarily mean that we get more mature. I'm sure all of us know 25-year-olds who act like 15-year-olds, or 26-year-olds in my case, uh, or we know 40-year-olds who act like 25-year-olds. You know, just because we get older, it doesn't necessarily automatically mean that we're going to get mature. And it's the same in a spiritual sense because we can meet people who say like, oh, I'm 30 years old in the Lord, you know, walking with the Lord for 30 years, which sounds like a really impressive thing. Sounds like a great thing. And obviously it's a good thing, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are a, a place of maturity. It doesn't guarantee anything. And likewise, I think for the Corinthians, they kind of talked a good talk. On the surface, they seemed mature. They seemed, they were probably saying all the right things. And it even says, you know, they operated in the spiritual gifts and all this kind of good stuff. But Paul says they weren't mature. It was just a kind of surface level maturity because these basic things of jealousy and quarreling was still among them. And that kind of outed them a little bit. So we learn from them that maturity doesn't just happen. It's not a passive process. First uh, Peter two two says this. It says, "Like newborn babies crave, oh, hang on, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk." 
so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. I'm aware that we're, with that verse, we're kind of mixing our milk metaphors here. So we've already said, you know, Paul's saying you need to move on from milk to solid food, and here it's saying we need to crave spiritual milk. But the message between these two verses is essentially the same. It's saying we need to be journeying towards maturity. We need to be actively desiring it, like any healthy newborn wants milk and then grows onto solid food. It's a weird question to ask, but are we craving spiritual milk today? Are we craving spiritual milk today? At the end of that verse I read out, it says, crave spiritual milk now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Now you've tasted the Lord is good. And as new Christians, we start at that place, don't we? Of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Knowing he's rescued us, he's saved us from our sin. I'm experiencing the sweetness of his presence. Um, I don't know much about breastfeeding, obviously, but I know that babies are hungry and they want a lot of milk and they need a lot of milk to grow and to be nourished. And that's good. And we start our walks as Christians in that place of tasting that God is good and enjoying him. But we're not supposed to move on from there. We're supposed to continue desiring him always and continually asking for more. And I guess the question to throw out there today for us is, is this where we're at? Are we at a place where we're desiring more of God, where we're kind of craving this spiritual milk? Are we hungry for him? Are we seeking him daily in the Bible, wanting it to challenge and shape us? You know, are we spending time in prayer, asking God to kind of come into our lives? Are we opening ourselves to his Holy Spirit, asking him to challenge us, to convict us, and to fill us daily, to encourage us, to equip us? Or are we a bit like the Corinthians? Are we, have we kind of managed to put on a good outward show, but in reality we're stuck and not moving forward? And maybe there's things that, you know, there are things that can stop our growth, you know, lies that we've believed about ourselves and God and others and fear that can stop us from moving forward, guilt and shame that can imprison us and, like it says, sin that can entangle us and kind of trip us up. Are there things in our lives that are present, that are smothering our passion for God, that are smothering that desire to have more of Him in us. And we have to ask ourselves that question and look inside and ask the Holy Spirit to point out those things if they're there and convict us of that stuff. And the great thing is we don't have to despair. We're not stuck in that place of like, oh, I can't move forward because our God is bigger than that. Our God is bigger than all of those things I was listing, and he wants to give us victory over these things. There is victory in him. There's going to be an opportunity to pray later um, if you feel that, you know, any of that stuff kind of uh, brought things up for you, um, and that's, that's great. There'll be a chance to do that, but also, you know, for sometimes there's like kind of deeper kind of set things that seem hard to shift, and prayer is a great place to start, but then just to let you guys know that we also offer prayer ministry at this church where people would meet with you regularly to kind of tackle some of that stuff um, and see breakthrough in that. Um, so if that's helpful for you, please let one of our team know at the end. So Paul is telling us to mature, to grow up. The next thing Paul's asking us to do is to look up. Um, I love to eat. Food is one of my passions in life. I don't enjoy cooking, but I just enjoy people giving me food. Um, and I'm a savory guy more than a sweet guy. I'm a big fan. Of, if it was like between a cake or a steak pie, I'd go for the steak pie every time. 
And um, so one time, I got the chance to go to an all-you-can-eat meat kind of restaurant. And for me, that was like the dream. It was fantastic. Uh, and so I went to this place. I'd heard that the steak was very, very good. I was very excited about that. I go to this place and I sit down. The waiter comes over and he goes, okay, what we're going to do is, he just explained what it was. I've got this card here. It's red and it's green. Uh, if you want uh, some food, leave it on green and we'll keep coming and serving you. If you want to, you know, have a wee rest, that's fine. Like, turn it to red and that's fine. And what we want, I was like, oh, this is great. And he was like, salad bars over there, please help yourself. So I'm like, yeah, all you can eat, all you can eat, all this stuff. So I get my plate and there's like bread, breadsticks, pasta, a little bit of salad to put the bad look off it, but you know, mainly bread, carbohydrates. Oh, yes, this is fantastic. I'm eating it all. It's brilliant. The guy comes around, they start to bring the meat around, and it starts off with sausages. He was like, would you like a couple of sausages? I'm like, I'll have 10. I want to get my money's worth. Give me all the sausages. Uh, and then next, this, this is a bit disgusting, chicken hearts. Ugh, not fun. I had, I tried to have one, but it wasn't great. But anyway, so they bring all this stuff around, and some ham, and it's all delicious, and I'm just piling my plate up, and I'm going through all this stuff. And by the time the steak comes around, I am like fit to burst in. There's no way, but I'm like, I need to do it. I need to have some steak. He's like, would you like some steak? I'm like, yeah, just cut me a little bit. And it's, you know that kind of moment where you've eaten so much food that you're putting it in your mouth and it's just kind of falling out? Uh, we're kind of at that stage. It was like, there was no way I was gonna manage this steak at all. And it kind of ruined the experience in some ways. It was really fun, but I missed out big time. I missed out big time. My attention and my focus went to all these other things, all the bread and all the kind of cheaper sausages and stuff that I missed out on like the main event. I missed out on the main thing. And it's the same for the Corinthians here, actually. What we were saying about them forming these groups and idolizing these teachers, it's like their focus and their attention is on the wrong thing. And Paul wants to challenge this head on. We read in verse 5, it's up there on the screen, um, that Paulus, Apollos and Paul are just servants. And kind of, to use another food metaphor, um, the word servants that he uses is kind of like, um, it's, it's similar to like someone serving food. That's what they're saying. And if you think about that idea of Paul and Apollos being like waiters, if you go to a restaurant, it doesn't really matter who your waiter is. It doesn't really matter who's bringing you the food. The real person that matters is the person in the back, the chef who's responsible for selecting the food and preparing the food and making it, you know, making it nice kind of thing. It doesn't really matter who serves you. So Paul and Apollos are trying to be like, look, it's not about us. We're just the servants here. We're just the servants here. Da, da, da. Flick the page. Also, Paul and Apollos, as well as kind of saying that they're servants, they go on to talk about themselves as like gardeners and builders, it says in there. And, and basically, at this time, like kind of manual laborers were kind of looked down upon. And again, it's just Paul and Apollos trying to kind of draw the attention away from themselves and trying to humble themselves and bring themselves out of the picture and be like, it's not about us, guys. It's about God. It's about God. And Paul also says something really surprising in verse 21. He says, there's a bit right at the end where it says, So then, no more boasting in leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul, Apollos, Cephas, the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours. You're of Christ, and Christ is of God. And basically, Paul is saying to them, don't sell yourself short, guys. Don't kind of make us the main thing, saying, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos. 
You don't belong to them. Actually, it's the other way around. They belong to you. God has put them there to be your servants. He's saying, guys, we're lowly. We're humble. We're there to serve you. That's what God sent us to do. Don't get fixated on the servants. Get fixated on the master. That's what he's saying. And there's a real sense of kind of insecurity in the Corinthians amongst this because in that time to kind of attach yourself to a leader to say I belong to Paul or I belong to Apollos was like a status thing and they're kind of like doing this to make themselves look good and look impressive um, but what Paul is saying is don't cling to us out of security know that you belong to Christ and that we belong to you and we're there to serve you we don't need to lean on the things of this world or on other people to know security because there is endless security in Christ. Our eyes need to be on God, not on people. Here at City Church, you know, it's not about the speakers or the leaders. It's not about Chuck and Taryn. And here at Gilk, it's not about Hazel. It's not about people. It's about God and his kingdom moving forward and us being a part of that. I've got one of those um, smartphones that is supposed to have a good camera. And it does, I, I don't know if you guys have, have use these kind of cameras, but it's got like an autofocus thing where like you tap the screen in a certain place and it's supposed to like zoom in and kind of focus on that object, which sounds good in theory, but every single time I go to take a picture, I press the focus thing and it'll kind of zoom in and out like that, it'll zoom in and out, and then I think, okay, that's it, perfect, and I'll take it, and then it'll go and like kind of move to the back, and then say I'm taking a picture of two people, all that will be in focus is just like the background and they'll just be like a blurry mess. Or like something will happen, like a cat will kind of walk into frame and then all of a sudden it'll go like that and that's the only thing you can see in the picture, just this cat in the corner and everything else is rubbish. Um, it's really annoying, I'm terrible at taking pictures. Um, I suspect what needs to happen is this camera needs to be fixed somehow. It needs to be recalibrated, I guess. And when something isn't calibrated co correctly, when it's not quite right, it only needs to be slightly off, and then it doesn't work at all. It needs to be recalibrated. And as we've said already, this is where the Corinthians are at. They've lost their focus on God, and the picture has become blurry for them. They're kind of looking at lesser things. They're looking at the background of Paul and Apollos rather than at God and making them the focus. And as a result of that, it's starting to cause real trouble in their church. And they've come so far from seeing things clearly as they originally were that in their blindness, they think we're doing great. Everything's going really, really well. But Paul is saying, no, this isn't how you're supposed to live. Come back to Jesus. Refocus on him again. Kind of recalibrate yourself and see things for the way they are. And I feel that for today, it's so easy for us to become like that. It's so easy for our gaze to bit by bit just slip away from Jesus and for other things to take center place. In the Bible, when that happens, it talks about it being idolatry. It talks about those things being idols. Um, which is, sounds way more severe than maybe we, we realize it is. But if anything else takes God's place, that's what it is. And that can be anything. That's money, relationships, our career, even like our loved ones. If we hold people in a higher regard than God and kind of like put them first above him, it's idolatry. And we need to ask ourselves questions that are, that are tough. Things like, you know, do I really give God a say in how I handle my money? Is he first in that? Is the way I'm acting in this relationship really honoring God? 
Is my own contentment, is my own happiness more important to me than obeying what God's asking me to do? We need to ask ourselves, where's our focus? And I think as well, there's stuff in life that can come along a bit like that cat and kind of just like out of nowhere, just throw things out of focus. You know, we all go through tough times. And when that happens, it can just like throw everything completely out can take God away from the picture and make everything blurry and confused where it was once clear. So in those moments, what are we doing? What are we focusing on? Is it God? And amongst those things, in that difficulty, who do we turn to? Psalm 121 says this, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. He will keep you from harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forever. And that just puts it in context, doesn't it? When stuff comes along in life that is really difficult, that is tough, we're called to refocus and reshift our gaze towards God. And he promises to be with us, to bring healing to us, to walk through us, to walk with us through that pain. And that doesn't necessarily mean that difficulties will, will vanish. You know, Jesus says, um, in this world we will have trouble. But then he says, along with that, take heart, I will overcome the world. And I think the enemy would want to use situations that are difficult, where, there, where there's pain and struggle, to draw our attention away from God, to focus on that stuff and to make him obscure and kind of blurry and confuse things and leave us in a place of darkness and hopelessness. That's what he wants to do. But we're called to refocus. God wants to remind us that he is in control of all things even when stuff is difficult. And we're to look at him, the God of love, in those situations. So we're called to look to God and for our focus to be fully on him. And finally, Paul's last wake-up call is to wise up. Uh, I remember going on a family holiday when I was seven or eight, uh, and there was a huge zip wire. I don't, well, I was very small, so maybe it wasn't that big, but to me it was very, very big huge, impressive zip wire. And I was queuing to go on it. I was very, very excited. Eventually got to the top. And then there's this little girl who's, who's there. She's strapped in, but it's clear things aren't going well. It's clear that she's not really keen for this. And like the guy, the instructor is trying to kind of like coax her. He's like, you know, come on, it, it'll be okay. Perfectly safe. You're... And she's just like, nah, nah, not moving. Her feet are kind of planted firmly where she is. And you can see her parents kind of like on the bottom, like, uh, okay, darling, all, all strapped in, re ready to go. And you can see her just being like, okay, darling, why have you put me here? Why have you tricked me? And like, she's so upset and so, so agitated. And then eventually the instructor kind of goes, okay, what we're going to do is we're just going to do a little practice. We're just going to like kind of lift your feet off the ground like that. You're, you're perfectly safe. You're not, you know, you're all right. And you just do that. And she goes, okay, so she lifts both her feet off and then she just pushes her, <laughs> which is a little bit cruel. Uh, but there was a cue, so. Uh, but you can, <laughs> but she, she was, there was a few seconds of screams and then you could just tell that she was absolutely loving it. She was absolutely loving it. And you can kind of, 
see from her point of view that like maybe at first, you know, this just looked like a ridiculous drop that she was looking on the other side and she was like, no, I'm safe here, I'm staying here, I'm not moving. And that's a bit like the picture, a picture of the Corinthians who are like the girl unable to kind of step over the edge because her confidence was on the ground at her feet. The Corinthians' con- confidence was in their own wisdom, was in their own understanding. And Paul tackles this head on uh, in verse 18, where he says, don't deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standard of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. The wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. So although they think of themselves as spiritually wise and mature, Paul sees straight through it and he's like, no, this is not real wisdom. This is actually foolishness because it's relying on themselves and their own understanding and not God's. What is it? it says in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Paul is calling the Corinthians to surrender their notion of human wisdom, worldly wisdom, their own understanding, and turn away from it and pursue God's wisdom in its place. And this kind of wisdom, you know, God's wisdom, is seen as a ridiculous thing to the world around us. We hear stuff like, you know, like, do you actually believe that stuff? Stuff that's written in this, like, you know, however many thousand-year-old book, you know, people come back from the dead, healings, Jesus died. What does it all mean anyway? And like, the world looks on us as if we're stupid, as if we're fools. Um, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. Paul, Paul says, the person without the Spirit does not accept things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are only discerned through the Spirit. So for those who are outside the Spirit, they don't understand. Like, how could they? It's, it's a bit like me um, I go into like an art gallery and I I quite, I quite like drawing in that kind of thing, but when I go to an art gallery, I can only really appreciate the art that's like, you know, like a, a pencil drawing that's done really well, like it looks really realistic. I'm like, oh, they, they worked hard on that. I can see that, good job. But when it comes to the more kind of like abstract kind of art, I'm just like, I really don't get this. I really don't understand what, what this means. Like it just looks like a, a bunch of colors kind of swirling on a canvas, like what's gonna going on here? Like, I honestly don't have a clue. I don't have a clue, but you take me, but then if you take someone who loves art, someone who is like well-versed in art, who, who understands it and kind of like has a kind of creative kind of way of looking at these things and maybe knows the artist and knows what they're trying to communicate, they could look at that exact same picture and have a totally different experience and kind of be like, wow, that is incredible. That is incredible. And I, I could break it down and just be like, well, it's just like a canvas and like, you know, these are just like, paint strokes and to pick those colors, but like, what does it mean? And I can try, try and look at it like in a logical way and just be like, why are they responding like this? Why are they having a real kind of connection to this painting? But it's the same thing in the spiritual sense. For those who don't understand the spirit, they can't understand spiritual things. And when we try and break down these things kind of logically, using human wisdom, it just gets muddled. It just doesn't make sense. God's wisdom is beyond our own. And it's only by the Holy Spirit that we learn true wisdom. And God tells us to embrace what human wisdom calls foolishness, to become fools for him. And that doesn't mean we're supposed to just leave our brains at the door. Um, We're always to keep growing in, in knowledge and learning more about God. But Paul is challenging the way that the Corinthians have been leaning so heavily on their own wisdom, on their own understanding, and believing it shows that they are wise. He's challenging their pride and their, their boastfulness and their kind of self-sufficiency. And he's saying, that's absolute rubbish. That's real foolishness. 
And he's saying, lay all that down. Seek true wisdom. Go after what, go after what looks foolish to the rest of the world. Sometimes following God means um, that we're going to look a bit stupid. We're going to look like fools. We're going to do and say things in obedience to God that, that other people won't understand. And sometimes he'll call us to do things that even we won't understand in the moment. There's so many stories of God just prompting people to do things like, you know, give a certain amount of money to like this person and leave it in an envelope. And then you find out later that that person was just praying for exactly that and it came along at the right moment. Or, you know, God kind of speaking to somebody when they're in a, on the bus or in a queue, just like go and talk to that person and just giving a word of knowledge about something that's going on in their life. And they're like, are you sure, God? Like, this is kind of a, I might look a bit stupid here. And then them stepping out and then it just being absolutely perfect. We, in our staff meetings, we hear stories around that from like around the church all the time. And it's so, so encouraging. It's amazing. But in those moments, God may ask us to do stuff it looks completely foolish, but we're asked to step out anyway. Uh, me and Hazel sat the other week and worked out our budget um, for when we get married. It's very exciting. Um, actually, weirdly, I'm not very organized at all, but I loved it. I really enjoyed it. I don't know why, um, but I really enjoyed just kind of like looking at all these kind of numbers and just like kind of just bringing order to it and be like, okay, this goes here, this goes there. Uh, we need to save for that. We can't afford that. All this kind of stuff and kind of getting everything kind of neat and tidy and in its little columns and kind of like everything was balanced. And it was like, great. I feel a lot better about this now. So that's really good. But you know what? In our walks as Christians, we're not supposed to uh, be like a budget. <laughs> we're not supposed to be a perfectly balanced Excel spreadsheet where everything is perfectly accounted for. There's no sense of risk. We're all kind of like, yep, we're all perfectly in line. God doesn't call us to lead our Christian lives in a calculated manner like that at all, where we only act if the numbers kind of line up perfectly. We're supposed to act in a way that is foolish, that, that doesn't make sense almost, that is kind of extravagant, I guess, where there's the risk of getting it wrong and looking like an idiot and that being okay. In Proverbs, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. So we're not called to trust him a bit, but really being, you know, reliant on our common sense. It says all of our hearts, kind of in an uneconomical way, just trust him and just go for it. And that's a foolish way to live in some ways. But it makes me think of King David when, uh, I don't know if you know the story of uh, the ark coming back to Jerusalem uh, and then him just dancing and just dancing before God and before all the people and it just being this display of extravagance and passion and just like, yes, God, and like screaming and shouting and jumping, all this kind of stuff. David could have very easily been very kingly, very solemn, very reserved, and just kind of walked and just kind of like, you know, nodded to the people and kind of done his thing, and that would have been fine. But he was like, no, I'm called to worship God in this moment. I'm called to give it all and to look like, like an idiot, and that's fine. And people challenged him on it, and he said, I will become even more undignified than this. I feel like David's got the heart of what we're talking about here in this idea of a man who's willing to look like an absolute fool for God and in doing so actually displaying real wisdom because he's fearing, honoring, and loving God above all other things. So this morning, let's ask ourselves, are we fools for God? Are we people who step out and leave behind our sense of 
decorum and Britishness and stiff upper lip and all that kind of stuff? Leaving that behind. Are we leaving behind our dependence on our own wisdom and trusting in him instead and following him even when it seems like complete foolishness? So Paul's wake-up call for us today is to grow up seeking to be truly mature, to look up and fix our eyes on Jesus, and finally to wise up and to discover what true wisdom looks like in God. Why don't we stand?